Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Cult Talk with Aaron Martin, a conversation, not an investigation. Cult Talk is a podcast that explores the realities of cult life, how they operate, who joins them, why people stay, and how some members eventually find their way out. Season one of Cult Talk will focus on a little known cult called the Kobu, which stands for the Church of Bible Understanding, led by Stuart Trail. In part two of my interview with James LaRue, we talk about several factors that contributed to him leaving the Kobu. James traces his journey out of Kobu, Stewart's motivations in trying to repent as he saw it and try to keep members there, and what life was like after Kobu for James and what it's like today. As a reminder, at the time of this interview, Stuart Trail, the leader of Kobu, was still alive. So if you hear us referring to him in the present tense, it's because we recorded this just before he passed away in October. Here's part two of my interview with author and ex-Kobu member, James LaRue. And it's interesting because you had heard other people on the outside, people, quote, of the world, as Kobu mm-hmm. members would call them, maybe, right. maybe accuse you of being in a cult or talk about the Kobu like a cult here and there. And that would, would that give you uh, like a zing? Like, ooh, is it? Or would it make you immediately defensive? Oh, I'd be on the defensive because they're in effect, you're a cult member. You're a weird cult member. You're standing on the corner <laughs> with a... Uh, you know, glassy eyes and you're <laughs> trying to sell flowers, you know, like the Moonies, you know, and it's like we're, we're thinking rational people. We're not crazy. Like, you know, and every cult thinks so. all the other groups are cults, you know. I really I, th- I think you explained it very astutely in your book when you said, you know, if you're trying to get someone out of a cult, it's probably best not to tell them you're in a cult. Oh, no. no because, you know? Yes. Right. <laughs> That's the worst they're, thing they're, you can they're say. They're going to go on the defensive. <laughs> right. Yeah. So. We, we can't be like, hey, you're in a cult. Get out of the cult. And these, you know, that culty program programmer you were talking about who was so you know was like was basically locking that kid up his parents wanted that's gonna work (laughs) that is never going to work it's not gonna work you know what worked for you is coming it coming to your own conclusion but it it Mm. seemed like you had some resources too like you had family members who you could talk to and visit every once in a while you had some ex-members who you started to trust that's right right. and you had a place to live ultimately because those ex-members took you in and they could understand Mm. your experience when you left do you think all of that conspired to give you the support you needed or could you have just left with a bag and a hotel room or do you think you needed all those things okay no, I think I needed all those things. I do I do know people who did just leave with a bag over their shoulder and maybe stay in the YMCA or something. Maybe I was a little bit afraid to do that. Where am I going to go? Live in a men's shelter or, um, you know, I, I really didn't want to do that. And uh, it's good to have 
people you can go live with. I mean, I was also economically bound in Kobu. I didn't really, I maybe had a bank out, a few hundred dollars in it. It's not like I had a separate job or living arrangements outside of Kobu and I was just visiting it. So it was good to be able to move somewhere. I mean, I started working outside of the car right away, but to not have to, like, how am I going to pay for an apartment? How can I put a down payment on an apartment? You know, you can't leave because you're an economic prisoner as well. You're a spiritual, social, economic, economic physical and prisoner. Economic whatever else. Everything physical, else. All those things, yes. That leads into the idea of this total institution model. Can you explain mm-hmm. what that is and how the Kobu fits within that? Because that really is okay. why you're stuck there. All right. To explain that in a few words, most people, they're, you're, your life is divided up into separate areas. You have your family life. You have a job, you know, unless perhaps you're self-employed or whatever, but you work outside the home. You may have an employer and then you have your social life. You might belong to different clubs or meetups or whatever you do. That's not your job and, and not your home life. And they're, they're separate. So if you mess up in one area and maybe you have a religious life too, you go to a church or whatever you believe in, you go to wherever that those people meet. So these are separate areas. So for instance, if I was in church and I said to the pastor, you know, I don't really believe what you're saying, or I don't even believe in this Christianity anymore. I go to work on Sunday, uh, Monday morning, you know, I'm not going to find out that I'm being fired. See, because they're separate spheres of life. And, or when I come home at the end of the church service, my house, my apartment door is padlocked. I'm being evicted. You know, that's hard to do to somebody, you know, or you can get fired from your job, it's not a church job. And you can still go to church on Sunday or talk to your friends after work and they're going to support you. These areas are separate. So you can't really control a person. You can really do poorly in another and the people in the other areas in your life are still there for you. But in Kobu, all of that's under one roof. Right. So if I mess up, I'm working in the church business. I was on a job and I didn't perform correctly. Um, I don't know. The customer complained on Sunday in, quote, church, which is really a meeting. You know, we're going to talk to everybody. Let's review how the business is doing. Who do we need to talk to? We need to talk to Jim LaRue. He, you know, he did this, the customer. So that you're getting this at church. So it's not like you can find solace in your religious faith on on Sunday when you go to church. You know, things are going badly in your job. But you have these other areas in your life where you can refresh yourself. But in Kobu, it's all the same. And these are the people you live with as well. And if you want to call it socializing, I don't know if you can say you socialize in Kobu. (laughs) You know, they got you on all points. They do. You can't go anywhere. You're completely surrounded. You're completely surrounded. You're in a hermetically sealed environment. (laughs) Everything's under one roof. And um, I got that concept from, um, I think it was coined by um, a sociologist called Irvin Goffman. Yes. And he studied institutions, mental institutions, the military, especially basic training in the military. It's not to knock the military, but at least in basic training, you, you know, they remove your identity, give you a different name, put you in a uniform. You can't leave the place. They put you through intense and you're getting yelled at all the time. And this is to give you, you know, it's to mold a certain character in you. So for at least that time, you know, you can't go visit your family. That's a total institution. And also mental institutions where, you know, if you're in that institution, you must be the kind of person who deserves to be here. And and people sometimes don't get treated well in places like that. And I suppose also in communist countries as well, you know, but anyway, these are total institutions. Yeah, a prison that, that would be a parallel, yes. you know, and you were in a prison yes. of sorts. Mm-hmm. And people will ask the question, you know, they will, and they probably have, 
well, why not just walk out because you weren't actually yes. in a prison? Right. The bar, there were no bars, uh, no locks on the doors, at least not on the inside. I mean, they locked the house at night or whatever, but it's inside. I mean, the thing to say, though, a lot of people did leave. Right. So, you know, when you ask that question, oh, why didn't you leave? Well, a lot of people did. And um, there's a great divide between those who leave and, and those who stay. After the people leave, you don't hear about them anymore and they're not discussed. So uh, and the it's like the things you felt- do hear are bad, right? Are bad. Or, they right. left and they you know, well, if, if someone things happen are going good for somebody, that story is not going to get repeated inside the cult. But if somebody ends up in jail, we're going to hear about that. Right. Hear about so and so. They left. They're in jail now. Their like, life has uh, fallen apart. Let's talk about yes. it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's I think that's a really classic kind of manipulation when you only talk about those who left their bad scenarios happening. The bad scenarios happen. You never yes. hear about the success stories. You never want to hear from ex-members who are thriving and who have, you mm-hmm. know, developed good family, spiritual work lives outside of a group like that. Never. Right. And it's difficult for those people to come and talk to everyone because some of the group members did. They come back and try and they get assaulted, <laughs> not physically, but verbally assaulted. So, you know, it's like one of the shootouts in a Western, you know, they're gonna, you're just going to get ganged up on and people yell at you and it just turns into a heated debate so it's not like people are going to sit down and, and talk how you know how's your life going you know it's a sign if you're cult or any group you're in if your church or any group you're in is a cult or not if you've left if you can come back and talk to people and visit and they're like oh how have you been how's it been since you moved and you've gone to that other church oh my life's going good instead of like you've left our church you need to come back here you know if you're threatened with leaving the group you're in that's a, a good sign that it's a cult that's a great sign that you're in a Believe in the only true way, you know, or, you know, or others may know things, but not like we do. Exactly. When you when the leader and then the members fall in line with the idea that ours is the only way and mm-hmm. everyone else is wrong, that is a huge sign of a cult mentality. There are subtle twists on that. Ours is not the only way and others do know things, but ours is the only way for you. Mm. Especially now that you know the things that you've learned here, you can't go back to not knowing them. Right. So there's plausible deniability. You know, maybe the the idea of people outside of a cult trying to understand it, they think it's just there's people saying this is the only way. And if you leave it, you know, it's a little more subtle than that. Yes. What comes down to that is what they're really saying when pushed. No, we are not the only place you can be. But, you know, for you, certain conditions apply. I want to talk about Stuart's motivations. And this is, of course, just our opinions. You have a much more informed opinion than I do. What do you think the true motivations for starting and continuing Kobu over all of these years really were? And did they change? I mean, I think, is it, is it money at the heart of it? Is it power? Was it sex? Because he ultimately took, you know, he, he started really stepping out with these Gale helpers, helpers mm-hmm. of his wife. Mm-hmm. He admitted a little bit of indiscretions about, but the reports over the years that I've read are that he truly was, you know, preying on these girls mm-hmm. who lived mm-hmm. in his house. What was it? Was it, was it just wanting to have the power? Was that at the root? Tell me what you think. Well, Okay. When you ask it like that, it might seem that he was like, you know, I'm going to start a cult because I want to have I want money, women and power. Maybe not. I mean, if you just listen to his own story, you could even say there's some validity. I mean, you can see, there's always truth to what people say, even manipulators 
because they're manipulating the truth. He said he was researching religion and wanted to find out what the best religion was for his kids. I think it was. So he, he was an atheist and he started a survey and he decided that Christianity was the best, especially because there are miracles, you know, in the Bible. He decided that Jesus' miracles are true. So let's say he started off with that motivation and um, he started going to Bible studies. It's hard to explain the whole background, but obviously maybe, you know, from your mother's stories, a lot of young people meeting together in at a church and he kind of did this takeover. Like whoever's with me, come with me and we'll start our own thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a very, very superficial version of it. And he was a little bit older than all of them. And his mindset is that he knows better. And there's also the story of his brother, Larry, who talked to Mike Montoya. And Larry said that Stuart was always manipulative, even as a kid, deeply manipulative and into power plays. So I guess he does have that personality. So these these things kind of came together. And it's almost like saying it's too good not to. Um, You have all these kids following you, looking up to you as a leader. Um, You're all working together and, and consolidating your money for these fellowship houses. Hey, let's let's unify this pool together, our resources together. And so we can skim money off the top to buy vehicles. You know, let's organize this. So, hey, you know, I can live off that. You know, there's money in the bank. You know what I mean? He, he's over time taking control. You know, I, look, I'm speculating here. I wasn't there then. You know, what I'm trying to say, did he intentionally go into and saying, I want to start a cult so I have power over people? Probably not. But as he went into this thing, the kind of personality he was, he began, you know, I could do this. In fact, I remember him saying uh, different times and other people said this. He would say, I could tell you anything you would believe it, wouldn't you? He would tell you that outright? Yes. I remember it a few times and others saying that. And uh, in other words, he's aware, like, you know, you're all willing to give me this trust. So um, I'm going to take advantage of it. Now, he wouldn't say that part. But from what people have said about his growing up and everything, he was, he was this kind of a person. So when being able to be in the position of that power, naturally, he took it. That's how he operated. You know, um, that it was his nature to be this way. Yeah. And it seems like, you know, motivations do change over the years. And I don't think mm-hmm. I don't think necessarily anyone goes into something like this with a and with an entire plan, you know, and that other right. cults I've researched, the leader, is the leader, you know, they don't, they don't change all that much, but they, they change, uh, their motivations can shift, but they're, they all seem mm-hmm. to be based on power and a sense of yes. needing to be worshiped and followed mm-hmm. unequivocally. No questions asked. Yes. Yeah. And that seems to be Stuart. And it did turn into, you know, playing people against one another. Um, mm-hmm. he, he would, he would even really turn on the women, but then secretly, you know, be after the women himself. I mean, he, you talked in your book about him preaching about this nature of Eve with the women, mm-hmm. you know, being evil and needing to be dominated. And then yes. he would turn the brothers against the sisters, but he himself mm-hmm. wanted these young girls to think that he was the only man worthy. Only one who could understand them and, and who right. really cared about them. Right. Yeah, that was a big power play. You know, these brothers, either they don't care or they're incapable of caring. If you ever did get married to one of them, your life would be miserable. And um, but I understand you. And, you know, it's, you know, only Stuart understands you. you know, I don't think he would quite come out and say that, but it, you got it. And when you followed the things he set out to their logical conclusions, he would set up arrangements so that these women could live with him and he would call them Gail Huppers, you're here to help my wife with her projects. She's got so many projects, she needs help, right? So there'd be 10 or 20, 30 women who could come and live with Stuart and Gail in their house. And of course, they would compete for places there. And there'd always be the ones who were kicked out and sent back to the bad living arrangements. So that would keep them on their toes. So he, he would play them against one another. 
Right. And it was like he was building a harem of women who were dependent yes. upon him. No other him. word for it. Harem. Yes. Yeah. That's yes. a harem. Building a harem of women. Yes. You know, and I we're think. dependent on him. That's mm-hmm. classic cult leader mentality, too. It is. I mean, you yes. see that over and over and over again. No Everywhere. When you're, cult, all the cults. All of them. Yes. The guy all at the top them. ends up building a harem, period, end of story. And Stuart was no different. Mm-hmm. Now, not you at all. Actually, you mentioned actually him moving into the boys' dormitory quarters. And so they built kind of this whole compound living uh, situation for he and Gail and all the Gail helpers. And he wanted a secret staircase or something built. What was that mm-hmm. all about? To, to <clears throat> access the women's quarters? Okay. Well, let me tell you the background. Stuart, before that, was living in a large house and property in Princeton that he bought. Again, it was in the church's name. And the Gail helpers lived there. So before this whole thing broke about him needing to repent and start over the church him really already looking into this it was a city block in philadelphia and it was an old boys home so it had dormitories and you know grounds lawns and everything you know it was a facility he wanted to use that for kobu's operation run the donation programs out of that you know a lot of storage space in there so while that was going on you know the, he had moved there with gail and the gail helpers and they took one of the dormitories and one level was for Stuart and gail and the other level i don't know how many rooms are in there was for the gail helpers and uh, I, I don't have that firsthand, but from someone else who left, one of the older, they call them older live out married brothers. And there's all these different categories, right? <laughs> right. Told me. And there's one of the brothers there where Stuart confessed on the side to the older live out married brothers. More details of what he had done with at least one of the Gail helpers, which he didn't tell those of us who lived in, you know, at all. So this person, um, he didn't, indi- he didn't indiscretion with one of the Gail helpers and he, right. made it, he Whatever underplayed this may it. Be. Mm-hmm. He underplayed it, um, but he didn't, didn't, he didn't mention any indiscretions to at the meetings to us who lived in. Mm-hmm. So th- that's manipulation of information as well. But again, uh, this is all leading up to the secret staircase. But he also just to walk down the hallway and walk into the rooms, too. I know I was talking to one of the women who was there. He would just walk in. You know, they're all sleeping in their dormitory style and he'd walk in. So he obviously very familiar with walking in into the rooms and everything. He just had free so, access to all of the young Women. Free access one way or another. So he was having access to the women. Free, you know, he just could freely do whatever he wanted, basically. And he was all in secret, it sounds like. Very good at keeping it secret. But the thing is, the women would keep it secret, too. And they still do now. I know. I don't oh. see many reports of women coming no. out and saying, this is what happened to me. Not at all, really. I wonder I mean, if now in this Me Too and uh-huh. Time's Up movement, if, if more women will come forward or if it's so, you know, this Kobu mentality is still so ingrained in them, the shame or they brought it on themselves or Stuart's old manipulation. I, I would just, uh, not that I want a woman to go through the torture of going public right. and then getting accused of things, but I would love to see more of the truth come out about what well, Stuart did. Well, it should did. come out. I mean, it should come out. What harm would it do? Some of the things I think too, on one hand, uh, they're at Stuart's close circle. So they either knew of that, him doing whatever it was with others and or took part in it themselves. They were involved personally with Stuart in that way or knew of it. So they're aiding and abetting. Now, in order to talk about it, they're going to have to talk about what they did, too, whether personally or they knew it was going on. And that's self-incriminating. Yeah, that's true. OK, so that's one very potential reason. The other one, too, is they don't want to hurt the people who are still in it. I've heard this so many times when you try to get someone in Kobu to talk to a reporter or whatever. Look, I don't want to. There are people who are still in the group. 
and I don't want to hurt them. I, and I don't even know how valid that is. Um, I, I've talked to two people who said that. One was uh, during the beginning of all good things where they were undercutting the other antique dealers in the city, a reporter wanted to talk to the ex-treasurer of the group, um, who was, we were renting a house at the time, several of us ex-members. He didn't want to talk to them, because that person, because there's still people in the group he didn't want to hurt. Right. Um, and just but to it's clarify. also the suspicion, you know, of yeah. the, the reporters are malicious 100%, which is not true. They do want sensational details. During the Haiti thing, uh, someone, I don't remember his name, is rather well known, talked to me on the phone. And he's, he said, look, I don't want to know about you and what happened to you. I want to know details on Haiti. So he <laughs> <laughs> was just, he didn't quite say it like that. Wow. So in other words, they're not always wanting to tell the story. But in other words, but some reporters, they really look reading books by reporters helped me when I was still in the group. And I coming to understand not everyone is malicious when talking about the group you're in. Yeah. And then recently, too, I mean, someone wanted to interview me and they wanted uh, to talk to others who were in the group. And I contacted someone and I said, a reporter would like to talk to you. And he went into the song. I don't trust it. I don't want to speak to the world about these things. What are their motivations? And I was like, look, just going to interview people who are in Kobu. You can talk. And there's just no go. It wasn't going to happen. And But I understand the mindset. I yeah, that's kind of uh, heartening for me to hear and disheartening at the same time, because I thought I, I've really been struggling getting ex members to talk to me. And as my listeners Said know, had two. yeah. And you know what? <laughs> I don't even know if they're going to be on board. We'll see. Right. I mean, they're, they're kind of they're really hesitant. And I understand it. My own mother wouldn't talk for a year. Mm. I started this yep. podcast almost or my other podcast almost a year ago. And I was talking about mm -hmm. Kobu at the very beginning of right. it, just lightly, you know, not I didn't do a whole series or anything. But she said, no, 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 no. Mm. And none of my friends who are kids of parents who left will speak about it to me. I thought right. that they would, you know, because really, the kids can speak more freely because we didn't join yeah, or leave. a little bit better. Yes. Yeah, so when I was in right. Kobu, I read a book called Fair clear and terrible and it's written by someone like you kids there you go members and the parents would get together and talk about the group they're in absolutely and she got interested in it and she wanted to research it and that book helped me while in a cult because that cult was just like kovu exactly and 100 so I, years ago I, but you know i think it's difficult for people to even call the kovu a cult who especially yeah, maybe not use that word yeah. It was a, a fringe group or yeah. a highly controlling, high demand religious group. You can avoid the word. Yeah, the word cult no, really it's sets a volatile people word. Off. It's a very it's a volatile, volatile word. word. It's like using it the is. word alcoholic or addiction yes. as opposed to drinking problem. I mean, people just really get wrapped up in the label and it's like, well, it's it's just it's a form of a group that takes a turn in these whatever hundred ways. And so if Kobu, right. Kobu fits that, and I think it's hard to personally say I was in a cult. A lot of the awful things that happen aren't a huge fire or murder they're not. or, no, you know, no. rape after rape. They're, they're mm -hmm. mind control. They're taking away years of your life. Yes. Making you question your own sanity. You mm -hmm. know, it's a psychological torture. And I actually wonder that about you. You know, do you do you hold resentment for for losing those years of your life? Are you in some small way grateful that you've learned something other people haven't? Or was it too high of a price to pay? I mean, what are your feelings on that? Mm. How do you how do you work? That's through a good that? question. I never find myself being angry about it. Now, That's sometimes good. I wonder why I don't. That's good. Um, you know, like Stuart, he did this, he took, <laughs> you know, right. I only got angry a little bit after Stuart made his big confession. This is like 1989. 
Three months later, I got, what? This guy's been lying to me. All... But that was the only time I really ever got that way. You know, it's good. I sometimes wonder why I didn't. Or even now, I'm not like that. I know some people, others are, though. Yeah. You know, there's a range of reactions. I mean, mine isn't the one size fits all. There are others, you know, they're grateful for what they learned. And there are others who, uh, they're, they're, they're angry, you know. Um, so there's a range of reactions. Do you feel like you were able to start? I mean, you're married now. Do you feel like you were able to start your, your relationships anew? Or do you feel like that mentality of the cult carried over into preventing you from starting relationships? Like, it, you know, that's a huge period of your mm -hmm. life. How did right. you, were, were you hmm. like basically a young adult mindset when you got out or yeah, how did it in work a way, for you? Yes. Yes. I was like um, a 36 year old, 25 year old or something. I must've <laughs> right. grown a few years while I was in there, but there are other areas where I didn't uh, progress. So, you know, getting back into gear, you know, you're getting into the subject, the cult recovery now, yes. like uh, transitioning back into well, a very discouraging line. I, after I left, I read in a book about cults as reading a book on recovery about cults. And one of the lines of the book said, it may take some cult members as many years as they've been in the cult to recover from the cult after leaving it. I was like, well, 14 years. But, um, oh my God, no. It can take you time to recover. It's because you've been thinking a certain way, you're used to dealing with the world in a certain way, of course, you're going to, there's going to take time to recover. And you've given, you know, you've gone, lived a certain way for so many years. I mean, there is recovery. There is recovery. So let's end on a hopeful note. What would you tell people who are in a group that feels very oppressive and isolating and they don't see a way out? How did you recover or what hope can you give them? What tools can you, they use that worked for you? Okay. Well, one thing, you know, if you fear leaving, that recovery would be difficult and painful. Think about what staying is going to do. You know, mm -hmm. if you stay another five years, another 10 years, I mean, it's going to get painful one way or another. And um, yes, it will be difficult. It helps to have a, a network. You know, the ex-members understand you. And the thing is, the ex-members have been kind of vilified. Uh, if you're in the group, the people who have left are of the devil or they're against us. And that can't be true about all the ex-members. You know, many of them are just like you. They're in a position you were in and they were thinking of leaving and they did. And maybe they didn't all, all leave under good circumstances. But they're the ones, you know, they understand. Um, they're not likely to say, yeah, you were in a cult. How could you have been in the cult for, you know, because they've gone through it. And it's good to reconnect with that network and not to feel that these people are somehow the enemy. And you're not, even though you're leaving, but you're not like, you know, you're just another one of them. Yep. And they realized it before you did. They've just and, gone before uh, you in the same they've journey. They've gone before you. They realized the same things, maybe not in the way you did. I mean, different people leave for different reasons. But it, it's good to try to find some of those people and talk to them. Yeah, I agree, because they're not mm -hmm. going to be judgmental of exactly. why did you stay? Why didn't you? Mm -hmm. They're going to say, yeah, I get it. They understand you know? why you did. Mm -hmm. And do you think that afterwards it is beneficial to then keep talking to people, keep that community going? Or do you feel like separating from that is more important? Or is there some combination that has worked for you? There's a combination. I mean, mm -hmm. it, I mean, I pretty much stayed mostly in contact with ex-Kobu people. First of all, there are a lot of them, you know, from my first jobs, uh, living arrangements. Um, but of course, you want to branch out, meet other people. I mean, it's good to meet other people. And, uh, you know, you need to deal with other people who are not in the same mindset. You're going to learn to have to navigate uh, a more complicated world. I mean, the, the cult world is complicated in its own way, but it's also simplified in other ways.
Yeah, that's true. Uh, it's, it's familiar. You know what to expect of the things you're supposed to say and not say. Uh, and a lot of that's very clear. And getting out, it's like, uh, you know, you're kind of learning new ropes. And But it, I mean, it's worth it. It's better than staying, really. Yeah, it is. So, or I mean, staying, you hope your group's going to get better. It's getting better. So, you know, not necessarily. Yeah, you don't have um, to ride the elevator all the way to the basement. Like yeah, they say good. in some recovery groups, you know, you can yeah. get off at any floor you want you to. <laughs> Right. <laughs> right. You don't have to keep right. going down. You have to go down with the ship. Exactly. How Do right. you find that you get a certain kind of reaction from people who have never experienced a cult or have never mm -hmm. known anyone who have been in a cult-like group when you share your story? Or do you keep yes. your story private from those people? Mostly private. I mean, when I do yeah. say it, you know, they're going to be like, um, how could you have been? Right. Exactly. Um, you know, my wife's parents are like, you know, how could you marry a guy? There must be something really <laughs> wrong with him. <laughs> You, sh you know, it's like the red flag, you know, there must be, you know, it could only be because there's something really wrong with him that he was susceptible. And not only that stayed for so long. Right. So, I mean, it's not I mean, just to blatantly tell someone that you were in a cult, people's idea of what a cult is, you know, again, you might say I was in a very demanding religious group and it really weren't, you know, or they thought they were the exclusive ones. And they weren't. And then you might hear a little more. I hear you. I kind of, you know, I used to visit some place. They thought you might get a little more understanding out of that. Uh, if you avoid saying I was in a cult because people think you're just you, know, you were a robot. Um, exactly. That word is like so that. incendiary. Yeah. It's hard to say it and move on from there with a conversation. Right. <laughs> it's like the right. conversation stops at cult. <laughs> All right. You're implying a job. Uh, I'm on a job interview. So what did you do? Uh, well, I was in a cult. And I worked for the cult. <laughs> And, uh, oh my God. You know, that's probably not going to go good either. I've told people that, you know, I worked for a business that was, you know, kind of, kind of fun. It was owned by the church, the church owned business and people just kind of, all right. You know, I mean, you, there are ways to talk about things. Yeah. Well, I've, I really appreciate that you wrote these books mm -hmm. and that you're willing to talk about it, you know, in the context sure. of a deeper look and mm -hmm. not just make it a sensational story because that's what I'm trying to do. I'm, I really feel like that was my parents' experience, too. And I experienced that, of course, as the next generation. When I say to people, oh, well, I was born in a cult, it's, mm -hmm. that's, that's a stop right there statement right as there. well. So you know, what it, you know the feeling, mm -hmm. right? And it's like they want sure. to know if I was if I went through ritual satanic abuse, uh -huh. if I, you know, it's all the horrible things that come to mind. And I'm like, right. well, we, we all lived in like pretty crappy apartments. And mm -hmm. I remember like staying up all night in sleeping bags at these meetings, like, I don't I don't remember a whole lot of really dramatic stuff, right. but it's it's a hard place to start a conversation when you mm -hmm. say, yeah, I was in a cult or I was born in a cult. So I appreciate this conversation that you were willing to have with me today. Well, I enjoyed talking to you about it. Yeah. And can you tell yes. people where to find you and where to find your books, which are fabulous? On Amazon, there's the book Captive Congregation. If you type that title in it, it'll it should come up. There's another one I wrote called Letters from the Cult. I think there's another one with the same. No, it's called The Tangled Web. Yeah. The subtitles Letters from the Cult. You know, that there are probably several books with that same title. And that's more correspondence. Most of it are letters to my mother who lived out, but other people, including to some cult researchers when I was still in. And what that book is, 
written at the time I was still in the group. And the purpose of writing all that was to explain to people outside the group how strange it was or what it was like to be here. So, I mean, there's some value to that. Social media, I mean, Facebook, there's there's an ex-Kobu cult members page. I'm not running that or anything, but I, I can provide more on that. Yeah, I'll put that all in the later. show notes. So we can, right. I'll put yeah, all the, the links notes. in the show notes to your books, okay. to that ex-members Kobu group. That's really the one I was mm-hmm. thinking of. That is a place where people can go who have been in Kobu or maybe they've had family members in it and they can talk to other people. And when, when you spoke of, you know, speaking to ex-members or that the help that that can provide you. I think social media mm-hmm. is a great way to do that now. So we'll link that up. Right. For sure. good. You can connect to people a lot easier now. Yeah, absolutely. And mm-hmm. actually, on another note, you're uh, you paint now. You're an artist. I and do. So yes. do you have a website anywhere that people can look at your art that we can? Yes. OK. Yes. It's James LaRue Illustrations. Com. James, I really appreciate this. Do you have anything else that was left unsaid that we didn't touch on? I mean, we could talk for like 16 oh, of hours. Course. Yeah, there's a lot left unsaid. Yes. So. Yeah, but anything that you think is important that we just didn't hit today? Well, um, I can't think of anything offhand off the top of my head. I mean, there are a lot more things to go into. And maybe also if listeners are starting to ask questions, you know, what are the concerns of people who want to know? Yeah. And maybe it could address coming from that as well. Yeah. If certain issues start coming up, you know, what about this or what do I do? You know, maybe take it from there and and find out what people would like to know about. Yeah, I think that's a very good idea. And I'll have Mm -hmm. my email in the show notes as well. And listeners, you can email me at the podcast. And if you have questions for James or about the Kobu in general, you can ask them. And James, if you'd be willing to maybe come back on after we get some Mm -hmm. listener input and answer some of those questions, I would really appreciate that. That That would be really good. All right. That sounds amazing. We'll pause here for now, but join us for the continuing story on the next episode of Cult Talk. Also, join the listener conversation over on the Cult Talk with Aaron Martin Facebook page. Follow at Cult Talk on Twitter and Instagram, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast from any platform and leave us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. Cult Talk is written and hosted by me, Aaron Martin, and produced by Dan McInerney. See the show notes attached to this episode for all links to resources and social media associated with Cult Talk.